Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the First Things in the Morning podcast, where we talk about anything and everything while you sit back and have your morning tea. I went to an actual bakery this morning to get some pastries uh, for the first time in my adult life, so I feel very good this morning. I hope your uh, day is going to be as great as this croissant I'm eating. As I am sure you know by now, the podcast is divided into different mini-series to bring some structure into the show. Check out the podcast description if you are interested in what uh, other series there are and what they are about. But today is going to be the second episode of the series called White Coats, where we discuss medical topics. This week it was polio that piqued my interest. I of course knew about polio as an illness, and I vaguely knew about the concept of the iron lung as a treatment. But I wasn't aware of what an impact the fear of polio had on life before I was born. The illness really was already kind of taken care of by the time I was born, so I thought it would be interesting to take a look at it. First we will be talking about what this illness actually is, and then we will take a look at how humans have dealt with it through the ages, closing on polio in our current world. The official name for polio is poliomyelitis, and it is a disease caused by the polio virus. Infection is spread via both the fecal oral route and the oral oral route. The first one is more common, especially back in the olden days when hygiene wasn't exactly the first concern when building cities and in day-to-day life. Now, as the name suggests, the fecal oral route means that you are infected by somehow swallowing fecal matter, but it's not um, as gross as that sounds. I mean, it's definitely kind of gross, but Uh, The damage can be done by something as small as forgetting to wash your hands before cooking your family dinner or whatever. Although back in the day, of course, another concern was contaminated groundwater. Um, You know, if you had your well next to your outhouse, that could be a problem. Once you have ingested the virus, it multiplies in your mouth and gastrointestinal tract. The gastrointestinal tract is basically everything in your body that food touches from A to B. So your stomach, your intestines, etc. Via the walls of your intestinal tract, it enters your bloodstream, like some kind of villain vitamin. It uses the bloodstream to get to your central nervous system, where it then starts attacking your motor neuron cells. These are the cells that control your muscles, specifically the muscles you need for swallowing, breathing, circulation, and the ones that control your limbs. The virus doesn't instantly destroy the neuron cells, but it first commandeers the ship. Once it is inside the cell, it uses the cell's own assembly process to multiply and create thousands more new poliovirus copies within just a couple of hours. And then, yeah, then it kills the neuron cell. So you won't have anything left to control your body. Its end goal is, of course, to kill all the neuron cells and create a whole army of its own kind. Now, you can easily imagine the harm to one's body when the cells that are needed for all your favorite activities, such as taking in oxygen and walking, are quite brutally killed by the poliovirus. It can leave a patient paralyzed and unable to breathe. Scariest of all, some people went only a couple of hours between the first symptoms showing and paralyzation, so you wouldn't even know what hit you before it was already done. But to be fair, um, paralyzation is really the worst case scenario. Most people who are infected with the polio disease don't even notice they have it, and their body is just a carrier. Some people do get really sick, 
uh, with fever-like symptoms like headaches and sore throats, but they get over it after a little while. Out of all the people that are paralyzed by the disease, most of them regain control over their body within a couple of weeks or months. Only 1% of everyone that is infected with the polio virus is unlucky enough to be paralyzed. And statistically, 1% doesn't sound like much, but if you think about it in actual numbers, one in every 100 uh, people who are infected, that's a lot. Especially if you take that on the entire population of a country. Because polio is so infectious that really no one was safe. The incubation period of polio is somewhere between the 3 and 30 days. Which means that after you have been infected, symptoms will show up somewhere within that time frame. But the tricky thing is that you can infect others before you are showing symptoms yourself. If you ever even will show symptoms at all. Which means that it's really hard to avoid all infected people. Because you can't just say, that person is sick, clearly. Um, let's not go over to their home for a while. It also means that some people go from completely fine to terribly ill in just three days. Which is another thing that's really scary about this illness. Before we came up with good ways to handle the illness, polio took many lives every year. Everyone feared polio, especially since the group most at risk for infection is children around 5 years old. People are, by design, always more scared for the well-being of their children than for their own or for other adults. The virus really likes warmer climates, so colder countries really only had to worry about it in summer and autumn, while tropical places had to just always worry about it. To this day, there's no treatment for polio after infection. Although, we have of course found a way to prevent it in its entirety. More on that later. The beauty of polio is that after someone has been infected once, the body develops an immunity and you will never be able to catch an infection again. People who suffered a bad case of polio do sometimes experience something called the post-polio syndrome, where symptoms can return later in life, but those are still from the same original infection. Post-polio syndrome is rarely life-threatening, but it can be very inconvenient. Five-year-olds don't have many obligations, but a 40-year-old with a full-time job can't just lose their ability to walk or breathe periodically. This has a big social impact on these people. So how have we, as humans, dealt with this terrible disease through the ages? Because the symptoms of polio have so many different severities, and because the way the virus actually goes to work is quite complex, no one really understood it for centuries. They didn't even realize that all these sick people had the same illness. This makes it a bit hard to really know how it was treated before modern medicine, or how many people died because of it. There were probably many polio endemics all over the world, all throughout history, but we can't know for sure. No one really kept track of the peasants anyway, but historians are pretty sure that polio has claimed at least one Roman emperor, going off the description that his doctors um, wrote down. There are also some Egyptian depictions of a young man walking with a cane to support his deformed leg. These artifacts are often used to prove that polio goes as far back as ancient Egypt, because people believe that the man who was depicted did have polio. The first recorded polio outbreak happened in the US in the early 1900s. This was a point in history where medical science finally started to do things right, and other illnesses such as typhoid and diphtheria 
were on the decline. Polio had been considered pretty rare in the 19th century, uh, although most likely because we didn't really know who had polio and who had something else. But when the outbreak hit the US, no one was sure why or how to stop it. Just as humans had started to become cocky, having figured out that you should always wash your hands and disinfect your medical equipment, all of a sudden polio started to rise. It turns out that becoming more hygienic was actually what brought polio to power. In the past, most kids had gotten polio at a very, very young age, as an actual baby. And at that point, maternal antibodies were still running around in their bodies. This basically means that they were still freeloading off the immune system of their adult mother. And because you can only get polio once in your life, kids were able to fight off the initial infant infection, and then they would be safe for life. Then we made up a whole bunch of rules about how to keep our babies, our houses, and our doctor's office clean. This didn't prevent polio, it just delayed it. Kids still got polio, but now at an age where they only had their own weak little baby antibodies to protect them from the virus. Mostly around 5 years old. Because of this, the implications were way more severe. And another nasty thing about polio is that the older you are when you first get infected, the higher the chances of paralyzation are. But the people at the time didn't realize any of this. They just saw their kids getting sick and dying, and it really made everyone very panicked. It wasn't until 1905 that people realized polio was infectious, and not genetic or just bad luck. This little fact was discovered by Swedish physician Ivar Wickman. Uh, he did a lot of research on the subject, because Sweden too was facing many um, polio endemics in a row. Another important thing that Ivar Wickman noticed was that polio had less severe cases too. And it was not just the people dealing with paralyzation who had polio. This was really important information, because it is hard to do comprehensive research on an illness if you are only looking at the worst cases, and not at a whole spectrum of symptoms. It would be another three years before the scientists Carl Landsteiner and Aaron Popper, working in Vienna, discovered that the infectious agent of the polio disease was a virus. The way they discovered this is actually pretty cool, especially for the time. They took spinal fluids from a person who had sadly passed away from the disease, and they put the fluid through a process that was known to successfully filter out bacteria. They then injected the remaining liquid into monkeys, and the monkeys got really ill. This meant that the thing that was causing the illness had to be smaller than bacteria. So, a virus. We wouldn't actually be able to see the virus until the 50s, when the microscopes got better. Which makes it even more amendable that these men figured out what it was. In 1910, scientists started to slowly realize that it might be possible to treat polio with a vaccine because they found a specific kind of antibody in people who had survived polio. This is what made them realize that once you've had the virus, your body knows how to handle it and won't be infected again. Now, for people who aren't completely sure on what exactly a vaccine is, it's not just medication. It is basically a very, very small dose of a certain illness, often edited in such a way that it can't do much harm. This makes sure that your body is introduced to the illness in a controlled environment, and so it knows how to kick its ass when they meet again in the real world. But sadly, the vaccine for polio wasn't developed until way later, 
and the 20s and 30s saw many more epidemics all over the world. In 1916, New York saw its first big polio epidemic, with more than 9,000 known cases and 23,043 deaths in New York alone. If you look at the entire US in that year, a total of about 6,000 people died. Like I said, it was mainly kids that got the worst symptoms, because adults have stronger immune systems, and they likely already got it when they were younger anyway. It is hard to imagine the kind of hold polio had over day-to-day -day life, because there really aren't any illnesses now that spread this easily without us having any way to fight it, or even have an idea of what is happening to the ill. Every summer, polio would rise again, and pools, amusement parks, and even schools would be closed. Parents would keep their kids close, but it often didn't help one bit, and they got sick anyway. In 1929, Dr. Philip Drinker and Charles McCann invented something that would both save many lives and also haunt my nightmares. The iron lung. An iron lung is a machine that helps people breathe when their own bodies aren't able to do that anymore. It is a big cylindrical iron casket in which the patient would lay with just their head sticking out. It was an airtight structure, closing with a rubber band around the neck of the patient. By increasing and decreasing the air pressure inside of the machine, the patient's chest would inflate and deflate, which would automatically make their lungs suck up air. The whole machine was basically just a vacuum, just like the lungs itself is. But this time, your entire body would participate. It is an absolutely terrifying machine, and the pictures are just awful. The patient would have to lie on their back. They fitted the iron lungs with adjustable mirrors, so the patient could kind of look around the room and not be bored, I guess. It looked absolutely miserable. Luckily, most patients only had to be an iron lung for tops a couple of weeks before recovering. But there are cases of people who were permanently paralyzed, who were bound to the machine for life. I can't talk too much shit about the machine though, because it saved many lives and it really was a great invention. We mustn't forget that back in the day, when your lungs stopped doing their job, it was basically just a death sentence. You couldn't keep people alive for decades like we do now. The next step in beating polio would be a vaccine which people were working very hard on in the 30s. Two different research trials started in the same year, 1935, and both turned out pretty disastrous. Among the two projects, about 22,000 children were injected with the new experimental vaccines. And sadly, many of them got very sick, uh, or they became paralyzed, and some even died. The interesting thing is that many of these kids were voluntarily signed up by their parents, even though they were warned beforehand that it might not work at all or even be harmful. That really shows how scared people were of polio. If you know that your kid is bound to probably get it at one point, you might as well take a chance with this new medication. So after these experiments failed, polio went full steam ahead for another 20 or so years. Speeding forward to 1952, when the US saw more than 57,000 cases, of which 21,000 were paralytic cases. But better times were on the horizon, because this would be the decade where humankind would make some real progress towards beating polio. In 1950, the researcher Hilary Koprowski tested his new vaccine on 20 children, 
and none of the kids got sick, and all of them developed the antibodies to prove that they had built an immunity. Now, that's a really good thing, although I do feel like I have to kind of raise an eyebrow at his method. I guess this wasn't all that amoral back in the day, but the kids who became his guinea pigs were all patients of a New York State facility for intellectually disabled kids and kids with epilepsy. And that's not really cool. I mean, thank you for developing the first successful vaccine, but just as a reminder, First Things in the Morning podcast does not promote using disabled kids as your guinea pigs. After Koprowski's success, it might surprise you that he wasn't the one that uh, took the vaccine trophy home. Because only one year later, Dr. Jonas Salk from Pittsburgh developed another vaccine. And this one was a lot easier to mass produce. Salk's first tests were on mentally and physically disabled kids as well. But again, it turned out to be a big success. It was Salk's vaccine that would eventually end up being the standard. And after his new invention, we would start to see rapid decrease in polio cases. Of course, first they had to prove its effectiveness on a bigger scale than just a children's hospital. And this is another one of those <laughs> medical experiments that just seems wildly unethical to me. I know, I know you have to view these things through the lens of time, but the way they eventually made sure that the vaccine really functioned was by doing a nationwide double-blinded study in the United States. Over 1.3 million children participated. Half of them were injected with a placebo, while the other half received the vaccine. The kids, the parents, and even the healthcare people who administered the vaccine weren't aware of what kid was getting the vaccine and which one didn't get anything. Now, it seems to me that if you think you have a medication for a potentially very deadly illness, it would be very unethical to just give it to 700,000 children uh, and let the rest potentially die. While on the other side, if you haven't proven its effectiveness yet, if it turns out to be a bad vaccine, the other 700,000 would be lucky. So it's a bit of a coin toss. I get that research like this had to be done to make progress, but it must have been such a nerve-wracking time not even knowing if your kid got the medicine or not. It took a year to process all the data. And luckily, it turned out that the vaccine was effective about 19% of the time, which was a huge win for humanity. That meant only 10% would get sick after getting the vaccine. And from that point on, we started to beat back polio. In 59, a second vaccine was developed in the Soviet Union, which works a little bit different, but is essentially as effective. Vaccines quickly became the standard in the Western world, and everyone would vaccinate their kids. And over the years, different initiatives were started to spread the vaccine globally. Czechoslovakia became the first country certified to be polio-free in the 60s. The Americas followed in 1994, and Europe too was declared polio-free in 2002. 50 years after the first successful vaccines, at the start of our millennium, polio cases had been reduced worldwide by 99%. An illness that once was in the back of everyone's mind every day during summer is now only found in three countries. These countries are Pakistan, Afghanistan and Nigeria. This might seem as though we have basically won the battle. The fact that it is still present in those countries is very worrying. Because although we work very hard to make all other countries polio-free, as long as even one child is infected, 
it has the potential to spread again, putting hundreds of thousands of children at risk. This especially goes for countries with weaker public health services that might have trade or travel links with the endemic countries. So we came a really long way and the story of the poliovirus is definitely a success story of human ingenuity. But we can't stop fighting now. Because shit will spiral out of control again really fast once we let our guards down. Polio can be completely eradicated because it needs a human host to survive. Literally all we have to do is make sure every single child is vaccinated for one generation. And then we would be polio free forever. If you have a few bucks to spare, perhaps consider donating to a charity that helps with vaccine availability. It's always good to do your own research on charities. But I recommend the Rotary Foundation. You can donate as little as $1 and you can choose between recurring or one-time donations, depending on what suits you most. I will add a link in the description of this episode to their donate page. Let's end polio, because it isn't a disease of the past until no one has it in the present. Well, that's all I have for you this week. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, it would be hugely appreciated if you would rate and review it wherever you listen. It helps other listeners find the podcast. And if you're feeling really, really motivated, um, just know that I completely support you if you want to share the podcast with your friends. For any subject suggestions, comments, or just to say hi, you can reach me on Twitter at InTheMorningPod or via email firstthingspod at gmail.com. You can find both addresses linked in the description as well. As always, I hope you have a wonderful day and see you back next time. First Things in the Morning podcast. <laughs>